Welcome to Let's Talk, a podcast where we just talk about life's ups and downs, about the existential questions, and the small day-to-day stuff, pretty much anything. Join me, Sarah, and me, Amy, for a 30-minute conversation about whatever. Let's talk. About what? About biases. Or biases. I don't know. Biases, biases. biases. (laughs) I'm so excited to talk about this. Um, This subject feels like it has just been haunting me. I have not had a conversation, it seems like, in the last few weeks that has not been about this topic or makes me think of this topic or um, something that later I will reference the conversation when talking about this topic. Uh, So I'm really excited about talking about this today with you. Oh my gosh, that is so meant to be. How perfect. (laughs) And what's crazy is that I picked the topic. So that really is just meant to be. (laughs) Well, we're like this. We, um, you know, we have our ESP, right? Yeah, (laughs) apparently so. It's would frequently um, end up wearing like the same shirt on the same day. Almost always, we had a few shirts from like, you know, 5Ks or things like that, but we did. Um, and man, if I wore that shirt, guarantee you were going to wear it the same shirt that day. Um, mm-hmm. We always have thought this way. Uh, so I'm not surprised you picked this topic. Yes, people used to hate us when we would play games like Pictionary or Taboo or something when we could yes. be on it. I mean, we just knew the answer that the other one was going for basically immediately <laughs> I remember playing a game of te- this is so off topic but I remember playing a game of taboo one time with some friends you and I were on the same team and the answer that you couldn't say was toilet and so for anyone who hasn't played taboo you can say you know, like you have to get the people to say the word toilet and you can't say things like you can't say toilet you can't say commode you can't say plunger I don't yeah I'll give you a few words that you can't say and the word was toilet. And I, I drew it. And all I said was, we got one of these for Christmas last year. <laughs> toilet. And everyone, I mean, you could just like see the hate coming out of their eyes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, and we're still like that to this day. It's fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Um, we had a similar like Pictionary incident with elevator music once. So... <laughs> Um, but anyway, bias and personal bias, um, I'm really, really excited to talk about this because it's something that we all, whether we realize it consciously or not, it's something that we all suffer from. Everybody has their own personal bias. And for some people, they are very unaware and it is very strong and other people have a great awareness of it. And maybe they've tried to minimize that a little bit in the way that they make decisions take in information um but we all do have this so i'm looking forward to talking about it yes well the thing about bias that's difficult is that you cannot get rid of it 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 is just it's always there like you say everybody has it there's not a single person on the planet who's not biased and there's no way to eliminate it it's not like um becoming conscious of it changes the fact that it's there. Um, And an illustration of this, I actually was 
writing about it on the Droplet blog the other day, but it's it's such a great illustration, is our um, our, our visual biases is a good demonstration of the way we can't get rid of them. So when you see an optical illusion, and there's so many optical illusions, there's ones where, you know, two things look like they're different lengths, but then, you know, when you measure them, you find out that they actually are the same length or things look like different colors, but then, you know, you can, you can realize that they're actually the same color when you take away the surrounding images. And, and there's lots of different optical illusions out there and you can, learn that, oh, actually it looks different, but it's actually the same, but it does not change the way that you see it. It's not going to look different once you know. It's not going to suddenly look like, oh, now I see that it's the same color. It's still going to look different to your eye because it's just, it's, it's the way that our brain works. And so the knowledge of how it works and the fact that, oh, I'm actually wrong about this, it just does not take it away um, from being there. And so all of our biases that we tend to have are, are like this. And so, as you said, an awareness of the biases, an awareness of the fact that, you know what, I'm not probably looking at this as objectively as I think I'm going to be looking at this through this lens and just being aware of that. That's really the best that we can do when it comes to our biases is just an awareness that they're there so that we stop taking them as um, to, to weigh so much. We put so much weight into our perception because we really think that it's, it's based on all this truth. And that's what these biases are, are these confirmations to us. Um, often it's, it's something that makes us feel even more justified and confirmed in, in something, um, when really it's just, it's something that's going on in our own head. <laughs> And so I think we'll probably go over some examples of what these are. Um, I don't know if you have any specific ones you wanted to start off with. I do. Yeah, actually, confirmation bias was um, one of the first ones that I had written down. It's very, very easy for us to do this, where you can look at a situation or you know, whatever it is that we're, we're examining here. And we all naturally are going to have that bias that comes in. And like you said, you can't get rid of it. It really is who who we are. It's what makes us us. It's our unique experience of life that we're the only ones that experience life, every little bit of it in the way that we have. It makes us our own individual and it makes us see things through that lens that's unique to us, right? So when we look at something, we are most often going to try and find the information that supports our personal bias. So confirmation bias is when I'm going to take whatever facts are in front of me and maybe cherry pick out the ones that help support what I think or what I'm seeing, what I want other people to see to confirm that my bias is the correct one. And we're all going to do that. And we may look at the same situation, but if we have different um, you know, personal bias about something, you're gonna pick out the things that confirm yours. And I'm gonna take from the situation the things that confirm mine. We're both gonna feel like we're absolutely right um, because you know we're the experts on our bias, right? That's the lens we see everything in life through. And 
I've just looked at this situation and here's the information that's there and it confirms what I thought. What do you know? But the thing is, we can both be thinking that and someone else may be thinking it about their bias as well at the same time. Um, but we all do that. We all go through and because most of the time, I mean, we're not looking for the negative, right? We're looking for positive. We're prone to want things to be good and positive, and we're going to look for information that supports. Um, and I think that we can sometimes have some conflicts when <laughs> my personal bias doesn't agree with your personal bias, and we both feel like we've got that confirmation, um, you know, from whatever it is that we're talking about. And they can both seem true at the same time. There's a lot of those kind of images too, where you've seen it where you know, the lines are sort of drawn and one person's looking from one way, one person's looking from another, and one of them sees you know, a six or one of them a nine, and they're both right, uh, but they're also both wrong if you're looking at it from the other perspective. And uh, I think that one can be tough when we want very much to be right. We feel very much like we're right but there's this whole other side of things that we are either unable or unwilling to accept. Well, I love that there's this uh, experiment for this one and it has cards and I forget exactly, you know, but it's one of those, like if it has, you know, an even number, a number on one side and, you know, an odd number or whatever, like if this, then that kind of, uh, uh -huh. situation. I should have looked this up before we did this, but I forgot about it till just now. Um, but it's, so it asks you, which cards are you going to need to flip over, um, to, you know, know if this is true or not. And so the tendency, and I mean, I did it when I saw this and, and the majority of people do this, the tendency is to want to turn over the cards that are going to confirm this hypothesis. When in reality, if you turn over those two cards to confirm, there are still, you know, two cards there or whatever that have the possibility of disproving. And so what you really want to do in actuality is instead of going for cards that are going to confirm the hypothesis is to look at the cards that are going to disprove the hypothesis. But we tend strongly not to do that. We really have a strong tendency not to go look for the the thing that's going to disprove us. We look for that confirmation. And then as you see, what happens is that it roots us more firmly in our own reality. And we say, look, I confirmed it. Not only do I believe this and, you know, I have all these reasons why I believe it, but then I confirmed it. I actually took the steps to do that. And what we're missing is that we did not look to, to disconfirm it or, you know, to disprove it. And so and then, like you say, it just, it, it can create deeper divisions because then the people who saw it disproved are like, no, look, I, I disproved it. But then, you know, because of this confirmation bias, we really stick. No, no, <laughs> I know I confirmed it personally. Like, yeah. and it's, it's just something that we do. I mean, you know, just, it, it's easy to, again, another bias, it's easy to hear a story like that and think, oh, well, I would pick the right cards. I would know the right ones to know. I wouldn't be so stupid. But it's, again, it's the vast majority of people. It's not just stupid people <laughs> that, that do this. It's just, 
you know, probably the kinds of people that are taking these tests to do these studies are smart people. Usually when you've got studies that, you know, uh, are done like this, these psychological studies, it's usually students and academic types doing them. So you can't just assume that everyone who got it wrong is, is dumb. It's just that people have this natural tendency, um, which actually leads me into another one of the biases that I find really interesting uh, that is the anchor bias. And so what we tend to do when it comes to information, like, you know, before we get to this state of confirmation bias, where we believe something and we're looking for confirmation, if it's the first time we're getting information, the very first thing that we hear is what we weigh the most heavily. So, you know, if you read a news story about a certain topic and this is the first time you're being introduced to it, then you tend to go into everything else weighing it against that first article. And that first article may have been the least reliable, (laughs) most misinformed piece of information, but you're going to give more credibility to it just because it was the first thing that you came across. And so it's, you you know, your first thing is going to be this anchor bias where you go, this is every, this is what everything else is going to be measured up against is this piece of information. And then you're going to go on into this confirmation bias where you're, where you're going to look, um, you know, for things that kind of confirm it, confirm this initial belief. And so it's actually really interesting how, you know, where we get information from is, is important because unconsciously you're, you're gonna, it's going to matter to you where you heard it first, you know, what, what it was that first thing you heard, you're going to be skeptical of everything that comes next on some level. Um, so I find that to be a really interesting one as well. I know I really am fascinated with that myself. I found myself thinking that, um, I, it's, it's the silliest thing, but when I was looking for new cars, uh, we briefly for like four seconds thought about a truck. If my kids really want a truck, I love, I had a truck before I had kids. It's not practical for us at this point in life, but we had this like four second moment where we thought about getting a truck. And I instantly went back to, well, we would get an F-250 because when I was like 17 or 18, I must've been 18. I think I was in college and my roommate's boyfriend said F-250s were the best truck when you were weighing things like the power, the gas mileage, reliability, whatever. And, you know, this is not college that I'm doing now. This was college, you know, like <laughs> two decades ago. <laughs> but I immediately was like ready to go, well, we're going to pull the trigger on a truck and be an F-250 for nothing but the fact that Someone who I can't remember her name, but I lived with for a few months, her boyfriend said this was a good idea. It was, it was the first information that I had on large trucks and has stuck with me for all of these years. So, you know, um, Caitlin, if you're still with that guy, know that that's still impacting, right? So, yeah, where you first hear something can matter and we do have to have the awareness to filter that out and go, okay, that's not based on anything factual. It may not be wrong. Maybe the F-250 is a good truck or maybe it was back then, but um, you do have to have the awareness that just because someone said it and planted that as your foundation for a decision, it doesn't make it correct. Um, Authority bias is another one 
And this one is tough because as a general rule, you do want to believe people with an authority on something. Um, you know, if someone has, for instance, spent eight years studying something, they probably have more information than you do. Let's talk about vaccines, for instance. I'm going to trust a doctor who went to school for this and knows a lot more than I do over somebody who's not an authority and has researched this on Google and posted their opinion on Facebook, right? So in some ways, an authority bias is fairly safe. Like if you're not sure, you can probably trust it. Uh, but we do need to be careful because sometimes the authorities that we're trusting are not accurate. Um, sometimes someone might say something with a sense of authority and be completely wrong about it. Uh, you see this a lot on Facebook with things like vaccines or uh, I love essential oils, but I don't think that you cure cancer with them. Um, I wouldn't use them to treat my children, you know. Um, so I think watching carefully, we make sure that our expert opinions are coming from experts before we use them to form a bias. And sometimes experts are wrong too, right? So you do wanna make sure that you're backing that up with other information, sound information, um, reliable information. <laughs> but um, that's another bias to be aware of. Um, you know, Just because a politician said it or religious leader said it, a doctor said it, a teacher said it, um, doesn't always mean that people are right. Yes. Well, and going again to sort of where you get your information, I guess a lot of these are relevant to that because that's so much of our bias, right? It's like, like when we get the information, where we get the information sort of builds all these other biases. Um, so one that I found really interesting um, was concision bias. And so this is when the media will report on things that can be easily summed up into a certain number of words to fit their format instead of reporting on things that are more complex and it's difficult to create a comprehensive headline and it's difficult to condense the information into a you know however many word article so they have a certain format that they sort of need to meet um which you know back in the days of print it was certain you know word links and stuff to to fit on a page to fit in the actual print paper and now with online it's it's a different different criteria characters and stuff right yeah twi like yeah I, I, how tweetable is this is this you know there's this headline gonna get people to click there are all of these um biases of actually what's being reported on in the news based on just the the format the selling format of of you know what they need to put out there for people to actually read the whole article for people to actually click on the article um you know for what what people are interested in and so we tend to think of the news well they're reporting on you know what's going on and what's important but of course there's a million things going on and it can be you know, it can be difficult to tease out what's important and what's not, as well as the fact that something that may be really important may just be really difficult to report on in the way that newspapers report, you know, it would just, it's, it's, they have to kind of follow a certain formula. So one of the, one of the, there's more than one, but one of them is this concision bias of just reporting on things that fit into a certain, um, 
you know, word count and, and yeah. headline. And so I found that one to be really interesting because it just, it shows the limitations on even responsible journalism. Uh, you know, you, you can have really reliable sources that you really trust and that really hold up, but even then the things that they're reporting on and choosing to report on and not kind of fit within a certain formula and there is a bias there. Well, and you were telling me recently too about um, the bias, even from just like the way you word a Google search mm-hmm. and what else you've searched in the past, uh, the kind of results that you'll get. So you're not necessarily going to get the same results as someone else who's looking at the same question, but maybe they just worded it slightly different. And you're going to get an entirely different perspective than somebody else is. Um, there's that bias too, which I think kind of falls in this same category, um, that, that information is really tailored to you, um, you know, among all the information that's out there, just the way that you worded your question and a search engine can give you back for information, um, you know, as you're making your decisions on things. Yeah, exactly. And what was so interesting when I was hearing that explained is that the the woman, I wish I could remember her name, I'll, I'll find it and I'll put it in the description, but um, she was talking about the fact that it makes it difficult when people are trying to be unbiased and balanced and they go, well, you know, I don't want to, don't want to fall victim to all these biases, right? So I'm going to do my research and I'm going to look this up, but because of their inherent bias and uh, again, because of the way that the the coding and the algorithms play to that bias, even when they're trying to do research, it's bringing up confirmation. It's bringing up the same thing they already found because it's playing to that wording that they put in and playing to, you know, depending, like if you're using Google, it's going to be customizing based on all of these, you know, your history and stuff. If you're using DuckDuckGo, it's not necessarily going to be doing all that, but it's still going to have this wording issue. And so, you know, you have this bias that's causing you to search using these particular words. And then that's, it's just actually feeding into your bias, even when you're trying to actively combat that and you're trying to to actively say, you know, I, I don't want to be biased. I want to get more perspective on this. And you, you kind of can't, you're kind of trapped um, because of your bias. And so there's actually, I think there's a whole documentary maybe called Coded Bias. There's, there's documentary about this and I think it's called Coded Bias. Um, I haven't watched it yet, but I've heard that it's really, really great. But I did watch a short video where they were showing how, you know, people think that, something like a, an algorithm is going to be unbiased. It's not a person, it's a computer program, it's math, it's going to be unbiased, but they're created by people. And so even all of these algorithms, the Google searches, all of these things, they they have bias too. And so the little short video that I watched showed the way that um, the, the, um, the programs, the algorithms that search for faces are biased toward white people. And so if you put up a picture of a a white person and a black person, say, the algorithm that's going to zoom in on the face and kind of show the, you know, condensed picture centered on the face is going to look for that white face rather than the black face. And they've done, I mean, they did lots and lots of, of, um, 
research and studies where they were finding this to be true. And so, you know, even something like a computer program that doesn't seem like it should have any bias does, you know, people create them and they inherently have bias that it wouldn't even occur to us that that would happen. But again, it, it's yeah. everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. Well, and appearance bias, when you were talking about the pictures there, um, this is something we can have bias about gender, height and weight. Um, main bias was another funny one. When I read it, I kind of had this like face palm moment, you know, where I was like, oh my gosh, how many of us, I certainly me, like my hand is raised. I can't meet someone with the name of an ex or someone that I didn't like in my past for some reason found annoying. Um, if I meet someone years and years and years, decades later, my mind will still instantly go back to the person that I knew with mm -hmm. that name. Or maybe it was a good person, someone I really liked. And I'm like, oh, I've always liked people. I did that actually. There was a grocery store checking out and his name was Albert. And I had a good, good friend named Albert as a kid. And um, you remember him? He was my pen pal. He went by Blake when we were um, young, but oh. uh, he went by Albert later. We lost touch as adults. If you're out there, please say hi. Um, but <laughs> I, this cashier was named Albert, and I immediately am like, ah, it's like my favorite name, and I love, I love Alberts, and um, you know, it, it just it sticks with you. Um, but then that led me to the halo effect bias which is really interesting. This is one where we judge people, we sort of create a bias of people based on one positive thing that they've done, or maybe a few positive things that they've done. And all of a sudden our bias is they are a good person. And unfortunately this can get us into trouble where, um, you know, I mean, I, I think of the, you know, romantic relationships where someone seems like this great person and then hold on to that for years and years you might stay in a terrible relationship because you think back to these few good moments and it's due to this halo effect bias where that is so imprinted in your brain that that's who they are you you filter out all the negative stuff because it does not um, work with the halo effect that you have in the mind of them of being a good person oh well you know, um, the, it's a cognitive dissonance, right? Mm -hmm. So a person couldn't be cheating on me because, you know, gosh, they always bring me flowers and give me a foot massage. And um, <laughs> reality is they might have done something good a few times, but it's so heavily ingrained in your brain that it can wash out any negative stuff that you should be noticing. The reverse of that, the horn effect, is, <laughs> that was cute. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's when somebody has done something, you have a negative first impression of somebody, say. Somebody's done one thing that really stuck out as negative, concerning to you, upsetting, made you feel defensive, and you just never can get past that, right? Um, you know, I'm sure that we, if, if we thought hard about it, there are people in our lives that we just dislike, and maybe they don't deserve it. Maybe it was because of one thing or a couple of things and it really tainted our impression of them forever going forward. They told one lie 
And so now everything they ever say, we distrust them, they're liars because they lied about one thing. And that may not necessarily be true, um, but it really sets the tone for how you view people going forward. I thought those were really interesting. Those are super interesting. I, I love all of those. And one of my favorite one of these to talk about, because I just find it so sort of amusing and interesting, is um, the above average effect, um, which is also called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And there's a few different names it goes by. But there's this really interesting tendency that most of us have to assume that we're above average. So they'll, you know, they'll do little surveys and stuff, asking people how they think they rank in different areas. And most people rank themselves, whether it's, you know, how popular they are, how good a driver they are, how, you know, good their social skills are, you know, whatever kind of questions they will put in these surveys, most people rank themselves above average. So, you know, if you're placing yourself in a percentile, people will place themselves in the, um, you know, depending on how, <laughs> how deeply they feel this, they may place themselves in the high 50s or, you know, in the 60s somewhere or even in the 70s. But of course, the reason that we know this doesn't hold water is that everybody can't be above average. That's, you know, we're getting into the Lake Wobegon territory there where everybody's above average, you know, because then of course it's that that's just the new average. If everybody's up there, that becomes average. So to believe that we're above average means well, most people are going to fall here or below. And I I fall above that. I'm I'm in the upper upper realm there. Um and that's just it's just something most of us do at least in some areas of course most people are probably going to be aware that they have some weaknesses you know you're going to be able to to ask them questions about certain things where they're going to kind of recognize that they're they're maybe average at best (laughs) in that area so it doesn't have to be everywhere but you know just by and large we have this tendency to believe ourselves to be above average and what i find really interesting is that it's in um, in the area of morality that people feel this most strongly. So people, even people in prison, even when they did this study with people who were in prison, they were convicted felons and stuff, tended to think that they were more moral than the average person. And it's just, it's a really strong tendency that we have. But I think one of the other interesting things about this one is that it's not necessarily a bad thing that we do that because uh, the article that I read that was kind of explaining this was saying that we tend to think of being mentally healthy as having this alignment with reality. You're, you're a mentally healthy, sane person when, you know, what you think and believe and what's going on in your head aligns most closely with an objective reality. But what they really found was that mentally healthy people who were happy and self-confident and what we would consider to be mentally healthy in the way of not depressed and things like that tended to have this above average effect where they considered themselves to be slightly above average and people who had maybe a more realistic view of themselves whose, whose view of themselves was more aligned with uh that they were probably average or below average in 
certain areas and maybe only above average in certain areas or something, tended to be more depressed and actually less mentally healthy. Um, it, it seems like this little bit of ego and narcissism <laughs> that, that maybe creates this bias of being above average is actually to some extent just a little bit is beneficial to our mental health. It's good for us to be able to have a slightly elevated sense of self for our mental health. So it's not necessarily uh, a bad thing. And biases in general aren't necessarily a bad thing. They're just, they're just there. Um, but again, it's the awareness. It's the awareness that, you know what, I, I feel, I feel like I'm the best candidate for this job. You know, I have this bias that I'm above average. I'm, I'm definitely, you know, performing better than, than the majority of these applicants or something. And that's going to give you the confidence that you need to actually put your hat in the ring and go in there and, and feel good about yourself and maybe get the job. So it's, it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's definitely something to be aware of because it can be a bad thing. <laughs> I like the saying, be open-minded, but not so much that your brains fall out. <laughs> and I think that's important is to sometimes step back and try and have some perspective. And again, because our bias is really who we are, right? Like, I mean, that's what makes us us. It can be hard to expect yourself to be able to get perspective, right? Um, you can only do so much of zooming out on your own self. I think asking other people, um, you know, people that you can trust to be honest with you, you know, like our nice versus kind friends, right? Like <laughs> find, your, find your legitimate people and ask them, am I being a little bit crazy about this? Like, <laughs> how, am, how do you think I'm reacting to this? Um, am I being reasonable? Am I not being reasonable? Um, are my judgments of this aligned with reality in the way that you see it? Um, and I think that that's important. I think it's, I think it's equally important to have our own values and judgments of things and opinions of things. Um, you know, I think that that's, we need to do that, but we also should remember to occasionally check in with like the devil's advocate and just you know, open-mindedly look for um, confirmation of where we're at, but also objections to it and reevaluate if we still feel the way that we felt uh, after we've taken an information that both confirms and denies. And I think that, um, you know, I, I think it makes us happier, right? We don't get closed down and rigid and shut off to new ideas and new ways of thinking because that's really easy to do, even if it doesn't feel negative. Um, you know, maybe it's not aimed at a person, you know, we're being judgmental towards, but it could just be experiences or other changes in life. Um, you know, I think it's important to occasionally try and consciously step back from that and reevaluate, uh, you know, if our biases have taken us a little bit too far off course. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, yeah, it's so important to just be aware, but not to beat ourselves up because again, you know, your bias, bias can be a good thing. You know, your bias can, can help you make better decisions. I mean, for instance, okay, let's say you're, you're in Japan and you are need to find someone who speaks English or lost and you see 
three people walking towards you. Two of them are Japanese, and one of them is a white guy in a New York Mets shirt, your bias <laughs> is going to tell you that's probably who you should approach first to see if yeah. he speaks English. And, and that's going to be helpful to you because if you don't have that bias, you might waste a lot of time talking to everyone else around and skipping over the obvious choice. <laughs> you know, yeah. your, your bias is sometimes it's going to help you and it's going to lead you in the right direction much more easily and much more quickly than if you had no bias. And so it's it's there for a reason. It can be very helpful, but just it can so quickly, you know, the, a situation like that can quickly turn into racism, you know? And so there's, there's a line there. So you can't beat yourself up for just having biases. They're just there. There's nothing you can do about them. And you wouldn't want to get rid of them because they can be helpful. But like you said, that awareness, checking in with yourself, checking in with your uh, with others, looking to, to see if you're aligning with reality, looking to see if there are objections and um, things that, that sort of disprove what you're thinking that you're just ignoring. Um, and, and so don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad. Don't beat yourself up, but awareness is going to get you far in just having a more realistic, balanced look at, at situations and people in the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some of the questions that I think are good to ask yourself, if you are um, considering a bias. If you're at a place in life where you're, you're kind of wondering, um, am I making a decision, a biased decision? A few good questions to sort of ask yourself to check in. Um, does this really matter? So maybe I am interviewing somebody for a job and he um, has the same name as my ex-husband. I'm instantly going to have a strong dislike for that candidate before they even walk into my office. I have to ask myself though, does this actually matter? Like, no, he could be a wonderful human being who happens to share a name with someone that I want to hit with a chair, right? <laughs> to our last episode. Um, so, so I think, you know, asking yourself, does this actually matter? Um, in, in reality, does this matter? Does this personal bias have any value? Um, and that's the next question. Is this beneficial? Does it have any value? So maybe my bias is, you know, gosh, um, every time that someone comes in here to interview for this job and they've previously worked for, you know, whatever, another company, um, we've had problems, you know, like they're just trained to do things a different way and we have a hard time integrating them into the way that we do things here. So maybe that's a bias I can be aware of. Like, hmm, okay, I want to ask some questions to see how flexible they're going to be with um, learning a new way of doing things, right? So maybe that one's a helpful one. But also ask yourself, where did this bias come from? Like, what is it based on? Um, is my bias based on something arbitrary that's only relative to me, like the name of an ex? Or is this based in reality? Um, is it based on the fact that they ask a lot of questions about drug testing and they want to delay their pre-employment drug test for six weeks that, <laughs> that they're going to fail, right? Like maybe it's a, a bias that's based in, um, you know, a, a repeating pattern that has resulted in a specific outcome 
or maybe it's a personal bias, but I think just taking a step back and asking yourself some of those questions can help you identify. And if you're not sure, ask some people outside of your own head, right? Like get other people's perception of reality and see how aligned you are. A hundred percent. I think those are all really great uh, tools that we can all use to help us to navigate our own bias as we go through life. <laughs> so, well, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was, I think I was going to say the same thing you were about moving into highs and lows. <laughs> yep, I just looked at our clock and I think it's time to move into highs and lows. And I also think that it's my turn to start. Um, so my low is going to sound very silly, but if you're not um, tech savvy or you're not good at public speaking, you might relate to this. <laughs> I had to host three meetings last week over Zoom. And by the end of the year, I'm finally getting a little bit of uh, end of the year for our company here. We're wrapping up our busy season and I've been doing Zoom meetings for a while now. I should have the hang of it, but I just never seem to actually have one go off without a hitch. And I had to do three of them and they were longer meetings than usual. And it was like 95% of it was relying on doing a screen share. It was trying to show people how to fill out all this paperwork and all these documents. And I am not good at the screen share option. I feel like all of a sudden I have 10,000 windows open and I can't find the right one to share. And then like, I was doing weird stuff and I was having nightmares about running these things. Oh, no. <laughs> and um, so they, they finally are over. I did get through all three of them. And actually it was nice. I got some good feedback from somebody emailed me after directly after one of the meetings and had commented on how well I had done this year with these and you know was thanking me. So I was pleased to hear that. And I was very pleased that it was over. And that's hopefully the last time they ever have to do screen share over Zoom. So <laughs> um, my high for the week. So I a lot has just been changed in my life recently with, you know, um, home stuff, my vehicle, school, everything is just like different and weird right now. My car. Um, and everything feels unfamiliar and overwhelming. So I've rewatched um the office and friends and Schitt's Creek, like way too an embarrassing number of times. I'm not even going to say. Um, so I needed something else, but I wanted to find something familiar because um, I just couldn't deal with any more unknowns in life at this point. So I went back and rewatched the Hunger Games series, which I haven't watched since they came out. And I remembered how much I loved these. I loved the books. I really, really loved the books, but I didn't have time to go back and read all the books but I just incrementally throughout the week would watch like 20 or 30 minutes at a time and then like on my lunch break or if I got ready in the morning early enough to watch some tv that sort of thing and I actually re-watched the whole Hunger Games series and it was really good and it was interesting to re-watch it um you know when I first read the books I didn't have kids yet um it just it was a different time in life and so to come back and watch it now with sort of a more adult perspective as a parent and just having been through more life experience, it was really, really fun. So that was, that was really the high of my week. <laughs> oh, that sounds so fun. I haven't watched those in ages. Like you say, that would well, be. I them all 
on Amazon, so log in and watch them. <laughs> They're all there. Well, thank you. I'll have to do that. Um, well, my low also sounds silly. You said yours sounded silly. Mine sounds even sillier, but it was just when I was thinking about what was the low, this, this is what came to mind. And so I'm going to share it. Um, and it kind of goes to our last uh, episode when we talked about expectations. I had really high expectations that were just not met. I, I saw in a magazine this toothpaste that um, comes in tablet form. So it's supposed to be this like environmentally friendly thing that you you get a little glass jar and then they send you in these little um, you know compostable boxes these tablets and you you put the tablet in and you chew it and it foams and then you brush your teeth Ooh. like that I know does that not just sound so I'm like cool. getting excited if you didn't say this was your low I'd be like making a note to order these now but I'm guessing that they were not what you thought they would be. <laughs> they were not. I was like you where I was so I saw them and I mean for I, I want to say a couple weeks I kept thinking about them. I kept wishing that I could be brushing my teeth with these tablets. So yeah. finally I ordered them and I was just so excited. And when they finally came, I was just so excited to try them. And they were such a letdown. <laughs> <laughs> I was imagining like when you hear of like a little tablet and it foams up and stuff Looking like rabies like yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly I thought of like a gusher or something but instead of like you know juicy fruity syrup it was gonna be like foam like minty foam and I would have yeah, this foamy mouth and it, it's a chalky tablet like a like a rollate or something and then it, it really doesn't foam. It, it, you just, you chew it and then you've just got like, like this chewed up chalky tablet and then you brush your teeth with it and it does not taste super great. And um, it was, it was let down. I was really, really disappointed. The, well, like, yeah. I still am hopeful like this is it's a bias because I got excited when I heard about it and got in my mind that it was gonna be wonderful and now I'm like like save one of those because when I come out and do this yeah I was gonna say I'll, I'll definitely have some left because <laughs> that initial bias is that it's gonna be amazing I know okay. yes you've got it you've got to try it to disprove to yourself right. um yeah, hopefully, you know, they'll work on the formula, improve it. Um, maybe one day it'll get there to be, you know, this really exciting, amazing thing that makes brushing your teeth the best part of your day, which is in my head, just, I was convinced. Um, so yeah, it was, it was disappointing. It was. <laughs> well, I'm disappointed for you. Like, that's a low. I'm disappointed not to. Okay. Thank you. Thank Take you. Take us into a high, Sarah. Like, yeah, I've got, I've got to save everybody from the depression. I just plunged this all into over these toothpaste tablets. <laughs> so the high really was a high because we had our last week of homeschool. And, um, you know, I, I, I loved getting to sort of spend that time with my son over the year and, and really watch him grow and learn through school and stuff, but I had just really never intended to homeschool. 
um, you know, I thought back in high school, as I was thinking about what, what career path I might want to take, you know, I thought of teaching because I had experience teaching kids and, you know, it felt like it should be in my wheelhouse, but I just recognized even back then that that was just not, just not my thing. Like it just, it, it doesn't quite click with me, right? Teaching. I just, I get, it gets tedious. I, I start losing my patience a little bit. Like, um, and so it was just not something I had planned to do. And my son is so social and just being with other kids and being part of a group is just something he was so looking forward to. Um, and just because of all the chaos around COVID, we, we chose to homeschool, but it wasn't really what I had hoped to do. And it really wasn't what my son had hoped to do. Um, but we, I mean, I think that we did remarkably well, given the circumstances, you know, I think that we both really did our best and um, it, it, it was a positive experience. However, I am certainly, <laughs> certainly glad that we, we made it all the way through and uh, now we could just enjoy summer vacation. And, um, and we actually had a meeting with one of his potential teachers. We won't know which teacher is assigned to him until closer to school starting, but we did a Zoom meeting um, where he got to, to meet one of the teachers and that was just so nice. The teacher was just so, so nice. And it made me feel good that there was, you know, a good chance that, that my son will have him as a teacher, or if not, hopefully the other teachers are, you know, on the same same level of quality because he was just so nice and it was just exciting to think about the coming school year when I won't be responsible <laughs> for everything and when my son will get to go and and be with his friends and and you know be be social and be a part of that and have what seems like will be this really great teacher and so I just I feel very, very good to have made it through the school year. And I feel proud of my son and myself. And I'm super excited about summer vacation and the, the coming school year where he will actually go to school will be great. So that that was definitely oh. a high. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's a great high. <laughs> yes. Yes. Good to end on that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, thanks for joining us again today and until next time. <laughs> yes, we will see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. World. World.